Almost live from Silicon Valley, California, brought to you by Mimosa Network. It's the Dustin and Eric podcast show. Hello, I'm Dustin. I'm Eric. And welcome to episode number four of our podcast, Internal Networking, Connecting the Dots. Today we'll talk about network equipment and architecture. Uh, we also have a special guest today on the show uh, calling in, uh, Tyler Booth. He's a WISP operator. Hi, Tyler. Hello. Tyler, you want to tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, how long you've been doing it? Absolutely. Uh, we run a WISP in the Portland, Oregon uh, market, and uh, we've been doing it for 16 years. That's quite a long time. Hello. How many customers do you have right now? Uh, about 1,200. Wow. That's not bad at all. Wow, 1,200. A lot of work. Okay, so moving on here to catching up with the DNE, Eric. So, uh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went. Uh, my wife and I went to the uh, the movies. We we drove over to San Francisco uh, to see. Uh, is it Justin Bateman? What's that game night? The movie that's out. Game night. Justin uh, something. Jason. Jason Bateman. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. So we got <laughs> we took the fifth floor elevator up to the theater, and we got in there. We bought popcorn and hot dogs and stuff. And then we said, hey, man, which, uh, where's, which theater is game night in? And they said, game night? You mean uh, Ready Player One? I'm like, no, uh, game night. And I showed him my Fandango thing, you know. And, and he said, oh, that's in the theater down the road, down the street. So we, so we grabbed, our, uh, grabbed our popcorn, my two be- boxes of Raisinets, hot dogs. We took the elevator back down to the floor, downtown San Francisco on Market, walked down the block, and then uh, went to the other theater and got there just in time. So that's what we did. <laughs> Make sure you look at your, uh, your Fandango app correctly and get the right theater, especially if you have two theaters within a block of each other. Yeah, well, what's the point of having two theaters within a block of each other? It doesn't lot, make any sense. A lot of movies. You know. I guess so. Well, I, uh, I've started hiking. I, I've been going over to the Black Hills and Los Altos and, and climbing up the uh, – the hills looking for mountain lions that's a it's a mountain lion habitat over there so always have to watch your back they might jump out and eat you what wait what what hills the black hills kentucky los altos black hills i thought you took another red eye to the uh, east coast no not this time no i'm not (laughs) going to go over to the appalachians just to to walk up the hill and then fly back that's where we go oh okay and uh, so that that's about it. Just a little nature walk. I start yeah. doing that every weekend. So yeah, that's good. All right, and uh, we're going on to the interrogation room. The what room? The interrogation oh, room. Oh, that one. And now it's time for the interrogation room, where we answer submitted questions from the audience. Okay, so here's question number one. So I've purchased some Mimosa A5C radios for my network. What antennas should I buy? Well, it really depends on uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, there are several different choices out there. There's the uh, KP Performance uh, 4x4 uh, sector. There's the M- MTI 65-degree uh, and 90-degree four-port sector. And then there's RF element horns out there that you can use. But, uh, again, it, it depends on uh, what you're trying to do, what kind of deployment you have. Uh, it's best to actually go look at these in the design tool. Uh, I know we don't have RF element horns in the design tool currently. Uh, hopefully soon you'll see that. Yeah, we're looking at the patterns, uh, ASL, uh, and so on because of the the, uh, the field out there. Right. And the spread between uh, the guy to the left uh, in the uh, the spectrum and the, and the right. 
Uh, also, you can contact uh, you know Mimosa Sales Rep or Mimosa Support, and they can help you uh, with your designs as well, as long as you've got those already in the design tool. Okay, question. You forgot to mention the N5 360. <gasps> well, tell us about it. Do you, do you have any yet? Oh, wait, I don't guess you have any yet, do you? I don't. So the N5 360 is uh, basically an omni antenna. It's a, a four-port uh antenna designed exactly for the A5C. Uh, it's got two 180-degree antennas inside that overlap one another, so you get uh, two chains on your C5 or your C5C. Uh, it's available now. You can order that from your most popular reseller or distributor, wherever you'd like to go. But it definitely doubles the distance of a normal micropop deployment uh, that an A514 usually sees which I know Tyler is eagerly awaiting at least one, if not 10. <laughs> Somewhere between the first and the second option, yes. Uh, right. So question number two, can I use other vendors' client radios with Mimosa access points? If you run uh, the A5 or the A5C in Wi-Fi interop mode, you can use other vendors' client radios as long as you have them configured correctly. Uh, do you run any like that, Tyler? We do have some. Uh, we've we've got some of the uh, legacy Ubiquity M series, uh, which are 802.11n compatible. So, in um, as kind of a strategy to migrate from Ubiquity to uh, the A5 uh, A5C and a and A5 14, we've uh, put the A5s in Wi-Fi interop mode, and all of our clients then. Uh, connect uh, back up to the Mimosa AP, and that allows us to one at a time pick off each client, um, upgrade them to a C5C, and then once we're all done, we can upgrade them to the um, SRS TDMA mode. Exactly. Perfect. Now with the uh, the M5, we're still looking at an SRS mode. We're still looking at 44 Right. Currently clients. 44 clients total yeah. on a SRS, whereas with Wi-Fi Interrupt, you can go up to about 100 and question number three, how do I determine which Mimosa client radio to use? Well, it depends on uh, your noise floor and the distance you're trying to achieve with uh, your connected clients. So for short range clients, uh, the C5 will work well under two miles. Again, it depends on your noise. And then for clients farther out than that, you can use the Mimosa C5C with a larger connectorized uh, dish or flat panel antenna whichever you want to use. It just depends on the aesthetics for the, the customer and how far out you are. We've got a couple of uh, two mile, uh, maybe two and a quarter with the C5C using it, like a small uh, 24 dB dish, for example, somewhere in that, that neighborhood. And then up to uh, maybe a 30 dB uh, dish at about five miles, for example, running. Uh, right, yeah, we've C5C, got the uh, yeah. the flat panel MTI 24 DBI, uh, and, the AP set, yeah. and then we've got the Jiris 24 uh, DBI uh, parabolic dishes that are using, you know, we're using that seem pretty decent. Uh, we're, we've got a couple of RF element dishes here that we're gonna try out soon also. So looking forward to, to give those a try as well and see what kind of performance we get out of them. And number four, I came up with a potential network design for my town. Can you take a look at it and give me recommendations? Well, I'd love to be able to do that for you. Unfortunately, uh, I have way too much going on. But again, like we talked about earlier, if you talk to your sales rep or you come to support, they can kind of look at what you have in your design tool 
and let you know if it looks feasible or not. But keep in mind that even with your designs, uh, it goes back to one of our previous shows where you need to actually go out and site survey the areas and look for trees or buildings because the design tool does not take into account anything other than topology. And question five, does a home router interfere with client radios? Eric, do you want to handle this one? Home router. Uh, yeah, actually, we've, uh, if, if we run it to, we put a, a, a router, uh, we, we look at uh, maybe existing uh, maybe existing routers in the house and, and move those channels away. Even on auto channel on 5 gig, for example, we'll, we'll try to move that to one of the last channels. Um, we'll also look at the spectrum as well, see if there's little blips in there. Etc. and try to move move away. Uh, maybe you, you want to elaborate on that a little more. So they do interfere with client radios. Uh, we've seen where auto channel uh, routers actually follow the channel of the Mimosa client radio. So we have to set those to you know basically the last channel available on the uh, five gig spectrum to keep those away from the channels we're using to keep interference from uh, happening at least from that customer particularly. Uh, do you have any trouble with that, Tyler? Do you guys uh, provide uh, Wi-Fi routers? No, we leave our customers. Uh, we let our customers choose which router they want to use, um, but we do work with them on the installation to uh, help get it set up properly, make sure that they're not um, using overlapping channels. But you know, to be honest, uh, in, in five gig, um, the antenna is sitting at the edge of the house, um, and the client routers down below outside of the the beam width of that directional antenna and most often we're using a very hydro directional 30 db dish um, so the noise level that the um ap will see the client at or sorry the client will see the um the router at is is generally pretty low and uh, yes the auto gain control uh, takes care of most of that awesome yeah we'll look at positions of uh uh, positions on the outside of the house for the, uh, the the dishes as well in relation to where you know the Wi-Fi dual band or single band whatever they've got you know wherever that's located at and try to connect the dots there to, uh, to minimize any interference in the spectrum like that all right so uh, coming on here to the main course which is internal networking and we'll jump right in here with uh, network equipment so first we'll talk about routers there are uh, Routers are very important to a network. You can't route traffic anywhere without a router in place. There are many different routers out there, and they're not created equally. Uh, Cisco and Juniper routers are, are pretty great, but they're also extremely expensive. Uh, Microtik is a very inexpensive solution, but also a very popular sub solution among WISPs. and do a lot of uh, the essential things needed for a network to run. And I think that you have Microtik in your network, right, uh, Tyler? Yeah, yeah, we do quite a bit. And I know that's uh, very cost effective and flexible solution. Right. And I know that we actually use microticks here as well. And then the next thing is uh, actual managed switches. So managed switches are excellent for enterprise networks. You can manage each port, uh, traffic management, port management. Uh, you can set up VLANs or any other type of fancy routing that you need to do or switching that you need to do. Uh, you can do uh, Microtik again, Cisco, uh, Juniper. There, there's a lot of choices out there. But again, it comes down to uh, price and what you need it to do for you. So a lot of people are happy with Microtik. 
but a lot of bigger people out there use Cisco or Juniper because of the reliability or because it has uh, additional features that they think they need or they, they know they need. Um, then you also have unmanaged switches, which are good for a variety of things, especially when you don't need a lot of management. An example would be when you have one port on your router specified for, for a particular network, then you could hook up a switch so you can hook up multiple devices or radios to that specific network. So it's basically just uh, increasing uh, what you can plug into a single port on a, on a router pretty much. And so th there's a lot of options out there as well. Uh, there's Netgear, Linksys, you know, all the common names out there. Uh, they're pretty inexpensive, but again, you know, some of them aren't as reliable as others. It really depends on how much, you know, they cost, how they're built. And so you just have to kind of research and find out which uh, unmanaged switch might be right for you. I know that most of ours are, are Netgear, and we haven't had any real trouble out of those, but other people might say something completely different. And then From a service provider standpoint, uh, we tend to stay away from the unmanaged switches just because we don't have any visibility into our clients. Um, you know, just, just something as simple as port status being up or down, um, you, you don't get that kind of visibility with an unmanaged switch. Right. So that just really depends on how you want to build your network. So listen to Tyler. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> And then we come to firewalls. Firewalls are used to help protect your network and your clients from malicious attacks from outside your own network. They can also be used to help protect from malicious traffic from leaving your own network as well. Some examples would be com uh, coming into your network would be targeted denial of service attacks against a client or multiple clients on your core network. Uh, there also isn't much out there that can help protect you from a, a DDoS or distributed denial of service attack though. Uh, examples of uh, Malicious traffic leaving your network would be like an infected computer or a client's residence. Uh, infected devices on their network, they can try to reach out to the internet. Uh, a lot of hackers will infect people's computers and use them as zombies to help with their denial of service attacks on other people. Um, so these can cause uh, issues for your network, adjacent networks, or networks in the cloud, basically. Do you get any kind of uh, DDoS attacks, Tyler, or any just denial of service attacks that you see? We've had denial of service attacks a few times. Um, the microtick, actually, this is um, something we use the microtick for, is it, is it can um, gauge the volume of traffic going to a client. We can say, well, if we expect no more than 20,000 on average um, inbound new connections, and that threshold is reached, we can then send a BGP message back up to our service provider saying, this IP is being um, compromised, please black hole route it. And then at that point, that particular IP address is just dropped at our service provider and it doesn't hit our network. All right, excellent. And then we come to servers. Servers can be used for a multitude of things at your sites. They can be used for iPerf testing, uh, backdoor remote access for monitoring, or even as DHCP servers for your network. Uh, you can use desktop computers, laptops, actual server boxes, or things like Orange Pies or Raspberry Pies. Uh, Orange Pies are similar to Raspberry Pies, except they usually come with 1 gig Ethernet ports, so they're better for your iPerf testing if you're wanting to try and uh, test speed between point A and point B, whereas with the Raspberry Pi, 
you're limited to 100 megs. So it's not as good for some things. It's okay for others. It just depends on what you want or what you're trying to do. And then we're going to move on here to actual network architecture. Uh, there are many ways that you can route traffic on your network because it depends on how your network is built or how you're building your network. Uh, I will talk about some different types of routing, but it's up to you on how you route your traffic. There isn't a one network fits all setup. You have internal routing protocols and external routing protocols. Internal, <clears throat> internal routing protocols, or IGPs, exchange routing information within a single routing domain. External routing protocols, or EGPs, exchange routing information between autonomous systems. So some common internal routing protocols are OSPF, which is Open Shortest Path First, uh, RIP, which is Routing Information Protocol, ISIS, which is Intermediate System to Intermediate System, and EIGRP, which is Enhanced Interior Gateway Routing Protocol. But most of these aren't really used anymore. The most common one is uh, OSPF, which is used quite a bit. Uh, basically, if uh, you have redundancy set up, you've got multiple towers connected to uh, your network, and you lose one of those towers or a path goes down, then it'll reroute your traffic through a different link to help bring back uh, your clients or your customers that are down on the other side. And some common external routing protocols are BGP, which is Border Gateway Protocol, and EGP, which is Exterior Gateway Protocol. And so I think that, uh, Tyler, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you have set up on your network? Sure. Um, so we use BGP exclusively um, for, for both internal and external routing. Um, you know, BGP is basically the only standard on the internet anytime you connect to um, to an upstream peer um, or or transit um, provider you're going to be using BGP if if they're doing any kind of dynamic routing um, a lot of wisps getting started will get an IP block from their uh, transit provider and start doing static routing from site to site and uh, until they realize that it doesn't scale, at which point they try to figure out some sort of dynamic routing protocol to um, augment their, their internal network and, and allow you to set up new towers and new sites without having to add the new network block to every single router in your network each time you add a new site. Um, so we use BGP for that uh, just because it's a, um, a layer three routing protocol. It's um, it seems to be a little bit more stable across wireless links than, than we found with OS, uh, OSPF, um, at least under the MicroTik platform, um, which is what we use for, for most of our tower-to-tower -tower routing. I think that routing is the most daunting part of running a network. It can become very complicated, especially when you aren't sure what you're doing. So uh, luckily, you, you do know what you're doing, and you do most of the routing yourself, right? Or do you have somebody on staff that does that for you? Uh, I, we, we've got a couple of people on staff that can handle most of those types of things. Um, but yeah, getting, getting, uh, getting a foothold on BGP without any prior experience and it can be daunting and, um, you know, it took a while for us to, to make that leap. Right. Well, luckily there are a ton of resources online in the WISP, uh, industry. So Link Technologies uh, is actually one of those. They provide training and assistance to their customers using MicroTik routers. So I know that 
link technologies actually uh sat down with us for uh, a few sessions and helped us uh, with bgp routing here on our own network so there's lots of places out there to to get help or to learn more for sure and so next we're going to talk about layer two versus layer three so basically should you bridge your entire network or should you route it well i've seen and i've experienced networks that are bridged only so this means that there are there's only one router that you have, which is where your main backbone is located. Everything else runs on bridged radios and switches each tower or micropop location. While it's extremely easy to deploy, it's also very limiting to your network and to your customers. Here's just one example. Say you have a customer named Mr. Campbell, and he loves to click on every single pop-up. Well, as we all know, or should know, is that it's a very easy way to pick up some viruses or some malware. Well. On a bridged network, if Mr. Campbell gets some nasty stuff on his computer or another device, it could quite possibly affect all of your network and your customers. With a routed network, you have routers at each hop or tower location or micropop, <coughs> and this helps so you can create complex routing to keep your customers online even if you lose a tower site or equipment on a tower site. If you're running a layer two bridge network, having any type of redundancy is impossible. With a layer three routed network, your tower sites could use OSPF to route, reroute traffic to another tower to get your main get back to your main pop. And so I assume that you guys have plenty of redundancy in your network to keep everybody online as best as possible. Yeah, um, that's something we also use BGP for is is uh, creating network rings um, and this layer two. Um, Design is, is another pitfall that a lot of new WISPs getting started will go down is, is uh, just creating giant bridges. Um, and as your network grows, it, it's really not um, sustainable. Um, having, having a very large MAC table that has to be uh, broadcast across the entire network and um, all the, the management broadcast traffic that's, that, uh, that flows over that. Um, so yeah, every site we have is routed with typically at least um, two paths in and out uh, using BGP for failover. Right. Yeah, I, I have, like I said, I've experienced a bridge network firsthand and no redundancy, and it was uh, quite a hairy situation a lot of the times, losing a, a tower or, or something like that and having to try to get that back up and all your customers behind that one tower. So definitely yeah. want to go a direction with uh, with routers instead of just you know, unmanaged switches. All right, so next that we're going to talk about uh, public IPs versus private IPs. So you have public IPs and you have private IPs. The public IPs are just like the name implies. They are advertised to everyone and everything out on the Internet. They're used usually used only for WAN addresses to communicate with the rest of uh, the Internet traffic out there. When public addresses are assigned, routes are programmed into the routers of the internet so that traffic to the assigned public addresses can reach their locations. Uh, private IPs are the exact opposite. The IPs are only routable on your internal network for you and or your customers. Some I ISPs out there use public IPs for both their customers and for their WAN routers. While this helps you access the equipment or networks from outside your own network, it helps others do the exact same thing. You want to try and protect your network and your customers the best way you can. So some private IP examples are, uh, are 10 dot addresses like 10 dot x dot x dot x, 172 dot 16 addresses, 
172.16.x.x, and then 192.168 addresses, which are pretty common on home routers. Those are public or private addresses, and so you can use those the same way in your internal network as well. Uh, the result of many organizations actually using private IP addresses is that the private IP address space is reused, helping to prevent the delete depletion of public addresses, which uh, with IPv4, they're actually almost out. All those have been pretty much allocated to providers. They've bought blocks of them, which is why a lot of people are moving over to IPv6, which there's more of those addresses, but it's still a finite amount on I, either one of them. A finite uh, amount, number of addresses in the IPv4. For both IPv4 and <clears throat> IPv6, but there's many more IPv6 Six. addresses out there. And so the last thing here we'll talk about today is uh, VLANs versus subnetting. So virtual air, local area networks, or VLANs, allow us to create different logical and physical networks, whereas subnetting simply allows us to create logical networks through the same physical network. You can have one physical network and configure two or more logical networks by simply assigning different IP networks like 192.168.0.0 and 192.168.1.0, etc. The problem here is that even though you've created different networks, they are all using the same backbone, your switch. Traffic going through the switch can be seen by all other hosts, no matter what logical network they are on. The result is that security is negligible. Sensitive data can be easily captured, and there would be a decreased bandwidth availability since everyone would be using the same backbone. If your switch can handle VLANs, you can create one VLAN for each logical network. This effectively means that each network's data is separated on different highways. The bandwidth availability for each VLAN is now maximized, and we also have a decent level of security since that switch that connects each VLAN network will not allow traffic to flow between them unless configured to do so. So Tyler, do you do VLAN subnetting or a little bit of both? Um, just VLANs. We don't do any uh, shared subnetting. Well, that's I guess that's not entirely true. We do have um, additional subnets. For instance, if we ran out of IP space at a tower and we needed to add another client-facing subnet, um, they would live within the same VLAN, um, but there's no reason to segregate that traffic from a security standpoint. Right. Um, but uh, management traffic, for instance, is all living on a private IP address, and it's protected within a, a management VLAN. All right. So uh, let's tech tips here. So this week's tech tip is brought to you by your local theater. In a world of high fashion stands a man, Ben Stiller, Zoolander 3. This time it's on. All right. All right. So this week's tech tip is uh, has to deal with graphical glitches and incognito mode. Oh, so your uh, UI, so user interface. So if I'm trying to load a page uh, and then I get it, it's, uh, it doesn't refresh. I can't see the whole page. Uh, I can go to, what, incognito mode, or I can try that. If I'm in, I, I try uh, Safari, and I can't get the page to load on the UI, and I go to Chrome, and ha I'm having an issue there. I might go into, uh, let's see, clear my cache, uh, or go to incognito mode, right? Right. And at that point, they don't, uh, they don't use cookies and et cetera. Is that something like that? Yeah, so uh, with uh, Chrome or Firefox, Safari, Internet Explorer, they all have their in-private mode 
or incognito mode, which doesn't use caching or cookies. So if you're having uh, problems with the UI loading up or it not loading at all, but you can ping the device, try going to uh, your in private mode and typing in the IP address, and it should come right up if you're if it's just a graphical error or a caching problem. Just kind of a clean. Uh, you go to go to that part of the browser and just kind of a clean load. Right. Okay. So uh, basically, this week we talked about uh, network equipment, routers, switches, uh, firewalls, servers and actual network architecture where we talked about routing uh, different protocols there, internal and external, uh, layer two versus layer three, IP structures with private and public addresses, and VLANs versus subnets. We also had Tyler join us today from Step House in Portland. Thank you very much for coming to the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And so next week will be podcast number five. We'll be talking about building your infrastructure So we'll go over installation and configuration of testing of equipment. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe or follow button to stay up to date with our latest podcast, which will be available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. 